I woke up in the morning with a really nice six-figure job and by noon I didn't have it anymore. And I went back to my gratitude practice and I said, all right, well, I've been doing this for a year now, so what can I find to be grateful for? Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today's episode covers a lot of ground. Episode 31. We're talking about gratitude. We're talking about employee engagement and retention. We're talking about welding and trades. It's a bit of everything. And the reason for that is we have a very dynamic guest this week. We've got Lisa Ryan, who is a keynote speaker, an engagement and retention expert, as well as a culture consultant in the manufacturing industry. Like I said, we cover a lot of ground, so I'm just going to jump in. Here are three things that you can expect from today's episode. First, we're going to talk about Lisa's story. Her career started in the welding space. We talk about her adventures in that industry. She's been in med device, and we'll discuss her transition to being an author, speaker, and consultant. As you can guess, there are a lot of stories that go along with this first half of the interview. Second, and based on the introduction so far that shouldn't be a surprise, we talk about engagement and retention. We discuss common challenges and actionable advice that leaders can take today. Finally, we talk about trades, you know, trade schools, the next generation. Uh, In addition to the next generation, we also talk about the importance of training in general and why now is not the time to skimp on that particular budget. Anyway, this is a resource-heavy episode, so you can get everything we mention over at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 31. And this is also a great time, I think, to mention that while we don't bring it up in the interview, Lisa is actually the author of a very relevant book called Manufacturing Engagement, 98 Proven Strategies to Attract and Retain Your Industry's Top talent. Definitely recommend checking that out. Again, show notes page, manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 31. Before we get rolling, I do want to make sure we give a shout out to our brand new premier sponsor of Manufacturing Happy Hour, Steamchain.io. Steamchain is the machine as a service company that is transforming the way end users and equipment manufacturers collaborate, increase revenues, and grow together. Now, you might be asking, what is machine as a service? Well, if you're familiar with other as-a-service business models, this one works pretty similarly. Rather than pay the upfront cost of a piece of capital equipment, whether that's a case erector or a canning line or anything beyond that or in between, end users have the opportunity to pay for that equipment based on its usage and performance. This moves the investment dollars from CapEx to OpEx and ties that investment to production output. The coolest thing is machine builders win in this situation as well. Through this performance-based financing model, now OEMs also get to cash in on the increases in throughput and quality that they deliver, generating ongoing post-sale revenue for their business. 
Steamchain's machine-as-a-service business model is one of the best solutions I've come across during my time hosting Manufacturing Happy Hour, and that's 100% true. So if you want to hear more, make sure to check out Episode 5, where we interviewed Steamchain's CEO and co-founder, Mike Kromicky. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash steamchain, and make sure to visit them at steamchain.io to learn how you can start working with them today. All right. Stoked to have Steam Chain sponsoring the show. That was a long intro, so it's time we dive into our conversation. We've got a lot to talk about, but first, we're going to have a little conversation with Lisa about her local sports bar. Let's get rolling. In the spirit of manufacturing happy hour, before we get started, I have to ask, do you have a favorite local bar or drinking destination in Ohio? Uh, we go to Cleats, which is our regular bar that we've been going to for 24 years, and we still have some of the same bartenders that we've had for 24 years. All right, is it? It's is it like a sports bar if it's called yeah, Cleats? It's okay. Yeah, Cleats, and it was one of these ones that we had the original, and uh, now he has franchised it to several locations. So yeah, so we know the owner all that kind of stuff. It's kind of like our little version of Cheers that we walk yeah. in. And we, you know, of hey, everybody. Of course. Now I had, you'll see why I'm asking that in just a second. It just has, uh, it adds some color to the first question. All right. Manufacturing All-Stars. Our guest today has one of the most unique career trajectories that I've ever seen in the industrial sector. She's gone from welding to med device sales to where she is now as an author and speaker that helps manufacturers solve their employee engagement and retention challenges. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Lisa Ryan. Lisa, it's great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Well, I always like to start off with a, a happy hour centric type question. We were talking about your uh, your local bar cleats before we dove into this interview, a local spot mm-hmm. for you in Ohio. And in true happy hour fa- fashion, we like making this approachable for our audience. If you're hanging out at cleats and someone asks you, 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 you know, hey, Lisa, I know you do this thing called gratitude and I know you're focused on employee engagement and retention, but, you know, what does that really mean in terms of the simplest terms as if you're having a conversation with someone at a bar? I help people keep their top talent from becoming someone else's. Nice. That is the most succinct answer I've ever gotten to that question. I love it. Normally it's like, I have to kind of think for a second. It's like, well, that was a really long bar conversation, but man, Mm -hmm. Lisa, that is fantastic. I want to get to my beer. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. No, I I love it. I dig it. Well, on on that note, you know, I'm interested to talk about how you're helping people keep their top talent going to be, I mean, retention, recruitment, all of those topics are always big in the manufacturing sector. But before we dive into that, I do want to get a little bit about your story first. So your career started in the welding space, correct? Yeah. Well, Almost. I started, okay. yeah, I started as an executive recruiter okay. and I placed myself in my first uh, industrial sales position where I sold electrical cord and cable. It was a high performance line of electrical cord and cable into the maintenance environment. Mm-hmm. And I found that I really liked it and I was good at it. And then when I decided to go into outside sales, 
the line of welding rod that I sold was also maintenance engineered. So it was mm -hmm. pretty cool because I was a, you know, we had uh, welding electrodes that would go through dirt and grease and grime and oil to basically reduce downtime in the shop. And yeah. I got to go into some pretty cool places, including the salt mine and do welding demos, which as a woman, it's always kind of funny because the guys look at you like, what's she going to do? And then when they find out I can weld a better bead than them, it's respect. That's awesome. <laughs> I was going to say, you've got to know a thing or two about welding. I don't know if we've actually talked about welding on the show before as well. Um, no, that's that's pretty neat. So, I mean, do you have any memorable demo stories then in that case? I mean, we're hanging out at cleats right now. You got to have a good story from when you were given those well, demos. Well, I have two of my okay. Um, the first one was the first time that I went down into the salt mine. We were a mile under Lake Erie and four miles out. And I went through a week-long safety training beforehand. Um, I was still a little freaked out about it, particularly when they gave you this little metal tag with a number on it, mm -hmm. which I found out was your remains identification tag just in case something happened. Is that the but, official term, a remains identification no, no, tag? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's probably what they probably had some kind of euphemism for it, but that's what it was. Sure. And the thing that's cool about being in the salt mine is that they only take equipment down there and it never comes back up. So when they take down these huge pieces of mining equipment, they take them down by pieces, they assemble them in the salt mine, and then when they're done with it, when it's run its useful life, they find an abandoned shaft and they just put the equipment there. So it was just super cool to be down there. It's 68 degrees, it feels like you're in the salt palace. Mm. But my funniest story, was I was uh, doing a welding demo and we used to have these carbon arc rods. So you had this three foot long copper tube and you would put two of them together. So you'd have like six feet of copper tube and you'd strike an arc. And then this thing would literally blast through 24 inch bearings. I mean, it was a sparks flying everywhere. It was the best demo on the planet. Yeah. And of course you have all these guys standing around going, oh, I want my turn, I want my turn. So I'm doing the demo. I have a full audience of people standing around, just watching. We're blasting through these bearings. And I didn't really notice the little the little piles of, of wood shavings that were on the floor with all these sparks. So when I left and I was coming out, the guard stopped me and he's like, um, what did you do in the shop? I'm like, what are you talking about? I guess what happened during the demo is all those little piles of wood shavings. Yeah. Fire. And the office was right above the, or was right by the maintenance shop. <laughs> and they were having this big corporate meeting that day with all the big wigs from all over the country came in. And they basically had all this smoke coming in through the air vents. So they, they um, evacuated the plant called the fire department. <laughs> <laughs> and the guy, it took me six months but I did sell that account. <laughs> I was going to say that's certainly one way to make sure the executive team knows about your solution. So kudos to you on one of the most innovative sales strategies that I've heard. Yeah. Don't set the welding shop on fire. It actually probably was a lot longer sales process than it needed to be. 
I love it. I love it. Well, we are we are off to a fantastic start, and and this is just the start of your career. So you eventually made the change to the medical space as well. Yeah. What what prompted that decision? Um, well, a couple things had happened. Uh, it was the early two thousands, and the economy was kind of taking a dump here in Northeast mm-hmm. Ohio. They were just closing the Ford Lorraine plant. Um, it was it was a time of struggle, and I had gotten to a point in my career where I wanted to experiment. Plus, I had a boss that, because I did as well as I did, he thought that two people would do even better in my territory. And I said, Dale, don't hire. I don't want some rookie in my territory. But he was very yeah. insistent, and we got into a pretty big fight about it that day. And I was so mad, I came home and I put together my resume to see how marketable I was. And I found out that with 17 years of sales experience and an MBA, I was pretty darn marketable. Yeah. So when I, I found this position and I interviewed for a couple different positions, but remember being an executive recruiter means that I also interview very well. Mm-hmm. And I went from being a straight commission, independent contractor selling welding products to like this amazing medical sales job with the company car and bonus and package and all this kind of stuff. And when I quit my boss, uh, quit my job to my boss um, that Monday uh, and I, I told him I, you know, I told him what I had gotten instead. And he was so proud of me. He actually cool. used, he actually used my experience to try to fill my position, which by the way, he never did because he never found anybody as passionate about the welding industry as me. Mm. But he um, was, you know, he he really was such a, a great about it because he saw how how I moved up in my career. And to this day, Dale is not only my favorite boss of all time, he's still one of my dearest friends, and I have not worked for him since 2003. Well, we always love talking about leaders and managers that, let's say, manage and lead the right way. And it yeah. sounds like I, I've got to think that did, did that shape your career? Is it have you have you do you reference that story and what you do now since you talk yeah. about retention and engagement? I mean, that just seems like a perfect foundation for what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, I I do because I reference like the uh, that my two of my bosses in my career, you know the. Uh, Dale, and then he who shall not be named. Okay. <laughs> and and he who shall not be named was the boss that really, you, he only wanted to hear what he wanted to hear. It wasn't mm. to share anything with him. Um, things that you said you know, like a year ago would come back to haunt you in conversations. And it was just not a good experience. Mm. Where with Dale, I mean, um, I could use if if I was having a great day, he would celebrate with me. If I was having a bad day, he would talk me off the ledge. He didn't care what colorful language I used. He wasn't offended. And um, but he was always he was always there for me. Mm-hmm. And it's such a cheerleader. And like I said, um, Dale's been a big part of my life since the first time I shook his hand when I mm-hmm. interviewed with him. So, and I think that that's the thing. He always listened to the, to the other side of the story. He came out to work with me, you know, when, when we'd work together, we'd go out to dinner. He'd, you know, grab my husband. If we were in my area, you know, mm-hmm. home, then Scott would come with us. 
So it was just like a real family with, yeah. with Neil. And I think that it's that level of respect. I, I could, um, we were totally transparent with each other. And I know a lot about him and he knows a lot about me. And it's those personal relationships that sometimes we don't know if it's, if we want to, you know, I don't want to use the word cross that line, mm-hmm. but people who want to develop relationships with you, there's other people yeah. who work for you that don't, Hey, business is business. And, uh, but when you have employees that want to connect, it's important you find a way to do so. That's such a huge point. And, and I, we're, we're going to talk about that here shortly, but like developing relationships, I, I see it as a much bigger thing now that we're not just connected like through work and our work emails, but we're all connected through LinkedIn, which is becoming a more social platform and Twitter and Instagram. Like that's that there's, we've blurred that line between work and life quite a bit. So yeah. I'm interested to hear more about, you know, the, the relationship side of things and how that would play in to retention. Um, but to finish, I shouldn't say finish your story, but to kind of take us to where we are now, you know, it sounds like you've learned from a lot of positives in your career, but also some adversity. And if I remember right, you said your med device career, I think around 2010 came to an end when you got yeah. laid off. What was yeah. going through your mind when that happened? Ooh, it was, You know, I was, I was having the best year of my career. I had actually started a gratitude practice Um, with some of my friends after going to a four-day conference, and I was implementing that, and my sales were going through the roof. I mean, I was having the best year of my career, and I was finally on the road to winning the sales trip for the first time Mm. in my career. And we were invited to an, um, an organizational announcement meeting. And I really didn't think anything of it because, you know, I was in the top in the company having Mm -hmm. my best year ever. I was safe. So the the conference call was going to be on Tuesday morning. And so Monday, my uh, girlfriend, the Columbus rep called and she said, hey, conference call has been switched to 1130. I said, really, I didn't get that email. She said, you weren't on the list. Huh. So I called in at 11 and there was 12 of us on the call at that point. And it kind of went like this. It said, uh, yeah, the company's going through severe financial problems right now. We're going to lose $10 million this year. So your position's been eliminated effective immediately. Please stay off the phone so our outplacement firm can call you. And no, we're not going to answer any questions. You'll have to wait till you get your package from HR and from FedEx and then HR will call you. Goodbye. Mm-hmm click. And it was almost, I mean, I was shaking. I was, I was crying. And then I had to go Mm -hmm. and call my husband that my very lucrative sales career just disappeared. And of course Mm -hmm. his first question was, uh, what did you do? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, but as I'm sitting in my office and like I said, shaking and crying and scared because I woke up in the morning with a really nice six figure job. And by noon, I didn't have it anymore. And I went back to my gratitude practice and I said, all right, well, I've been doing this for a year now. So what can I find to be grateful for? Mm. And when I was thinking about it, you know, my goal list from 1987 popped into my head and there was probably 80 different items on it. The first one was to buy a house, you know, check. I've done that. The second one was to become a professional speaker 
And the third one was to write a book. Hmm. And it was almost like at that moment that they felt this weight physically lift from my shoulders, knowing that goals that had been on my list for more than 20 years could come to fruition. So on that day, October 12, 2010, is when I decided to start Gratigy. And mm. I thought, and the funny thing is, I thought my husband would be like, oh, girlfriend, you are going back to work. <laughs> but that whole happy wife, happy life thing kind of kicked in. And he saw how much I loved what I did. And Scott has been really one of my biggest cheerleaders. So 10 years later, you know, I look at it, I look back on it now going, 2010, yeah, probably not the best year to start a business. Um, same thing that it's, I'm going to tell people who are starting businesses in 2020, probably not your most brilliant <laughs> idea. <laughs> but well, then again, 10, years later, 10 years later, you keep at it. Times change, they get better. And, and this too shall pass. We will all get through this. Well, I, I fall into the category of people that decided to start a business this year. When we first talked, I was gainfully employed by Rockwell and then I decided to, uh, to make the leap, but that, that goes in line with another question that just popped in because you mentioned you made this goal list back in 1987, you yep. know, you wanted to buy the house check. You wanted to write a book and you wanted to be a speaker. And the reality is, and this is, you know, this kind of plays in because I've had my goals that I'm just now acting on as well, but there are a lot of other people that I know listen to this show that have goals or things they want to do in their life, but for whatever reason, you know, they're putting them off. They're finding excuses. What advice do you have to those people that maybe have that list or haven't made that list yet, you know, that you can share from your experience? Um, I think that when you come to a point of writing down goals that are you're coming from a place of being really raw and writing mm -hmm. down what you want, not because you think you should have it but because you really want it. Um, for example, when I was in the welding industry, I started working with a coach, one of my first um, career coaches that I worked with. And, um, you know, I was kind of starting to think about, uh, you know, what my next job would be. And she's like, write it down. And so I got crazy. Remember, I was an independent contractor working straight commission. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote down this list about that I wanted a company car and I wanted a nice package and I wanted benefits and I wanted a 401k and I wanted a great boss. And I mean, it was a page and a half of of goals that I had. And I was coming from a point of, you know, not things that I should have. You know, I mean, I stretched. I never had a company car before. And then I lost that list. Mm hmm. Six months later, after I was already at my job in the medical field, I found that list and every single thing on that list had come to fruition. So there's different schools of thought when it comes to goals that, oh, mm -hmm. you should look at that goal every day and repeat mantras and repeat affirmations and visualize and make vision boards and all this kind of stuff. But if you're coming from this, this place of, of rawness, and, and really thinking about what do I want? Um, and then it, it happens. It doesn't, uh, and believe me, it does not happen nearly as quickly uh, as you think it should. And it never happens in the exact same way that you also believe that it should happen. Mm 
Mm-hmm. There's a sense of and and um, there's a sense of belief. I mean, 2020, I talked to most of my speaker friends, and we all had the exact same story. 2020 was going into the best year ever. Mm-hmm. I had booked by December of 2019. I had booked um, more money for 2020 than I had booked in all of 2019, like before mm-hmm. January 1st. So it was this fantastic year. And then, you know, March came and it just ended. So mm-hmm. there was grief and loss and anger and then just figuring it out. But figuring it out and giving yourself the grace to know that, you know, this is kind of a gap year. You know, this is a, a, a year to learn and to do well and to try new things and some of my friends are, you know, they're gangbusters because they went to virtual a lot longer than I did. And they're having their best year ever. Um, for me, I am going to end this year and it will be a good year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's certainly not what it, it started out looking like it was going to be. And that's OK, because it's been I've learned a lot. Can you share a new thing you've tried this year or something you've done to pivot here in 2020? I know I know, I keep thinking we're going to get your attention, but you keep bringing up such other good topics I want to drill into. <laughs> well, one of the things that I just did uh, was I hosted a summit. It was a three-day summit called the Employee Retention Summit for Manufacturers. And I interviewed 25 people. Um, for 24 sessions, I had one um, that I had two speakers in it, and it was all about employee retention. Um, I did Zoom interviews for it, so there was no death by PowerPoint. Mm-hmm. So the month of September, I spent interviewing everybody. I learned um, the platform to put together the website. I designed all the graphics. I utilized StreamYard to do uh, live programming for 10 days before the summit to promote it. Uh, And it was really just a fantastic event. So uh, with the time and the hours that I put into the summit, if I had what would have been my regular speaking career and being on the road as much, I would have never had time to do it. Sure. But now that I got the first one out of the way, it's opened the door for me to make the changes that I uh, that I need to make for the next one. But I know the next one's going to be a lot, uh, you know, a lot quicker and cleaner. That is awesome. No, it's uh, it's been a powerful year for pivoting. Everyone's had to pivot in, in some years. People do it because they have the choice to this year. It's been everyone has to do it if they right. want to stay afloat. So mm-hmm. it's awesome to hear that you've done it by pulling off your uh, first virtual summit. And hopefully we see more of those in the future. Now I'm finally going to ask a question about, around retention, and and the and the way I want to start this is what you know you you give talks on this all the time, and you've seen this in your career and what you do now. What's one of the most common challenges you see people experiencing? We know it's keeping talent, but maybe go a little bit more specific than that. Um, well, it really does start at the top of the organization. Mm-hmm. So the worst thing that a company can do is look at employee engagement as retention as an HR issue. Um, if 
upper management, if upper leadership of an organization is not buying into it, or they think it's just a check box because they read an article that they have to engage their employees and they try it for a couple of weeks and it doesn't work. And then they go back to the next flavor of the week. It's not going to work. Company culture, your company culture took a long time to build and it is not changing overnight. So when, and when you first come in with these glorious ideas that you have for making these amazing company changes, your employees probably don't trust you because they've heard it before. They've seen a couple, little bit of action. Maybe you put together an employee survey to find out what they want. And then eight months go by and the employees never hear anything more from it. So the next time they don't waste their breath. This is a commitment to doing one thing. And that one thing, a lot of it can come from asking your employees, what do mm -hmm. you want? What mm -hmm. would make your job better? How can we help you do your job better? How can we help you personally? How can we help your career? And coming to a point of, of asking the question with a total poker face, no matter what that employee says to you, your only response is thank you or mm -hmm. thank you for sharing. That's it. You're not going to fight with them. You're not going to argue with them. And even if you ask that employee and they're having a horrible day and they totally take it out on you and they just say some stupid, mean, horrible comment, there's probably a little grain of truth in there that if you just get your ego out of the way and look for it, you'll find it and then you build on that. And if you have the person that is so horribly toxic that they are bringing down everybody else in the company, they got to go and you mm -hmm. have to make that decision to get rid of them. So retention is sometimes also about firing the people that shouldn't be mm. there because that will cause your good employees to leave. Awesome, actionable advice from that. And it's funny that you bring up the check the box at uh, the check the box aspect because that's where I see so many companies run into challenges, not just with retention, but starting anything. In fact, it, it's funny. I was just telling people if you want to have a successful company podcast, don't look at it. Don't look at it as a check the box activity. Yeah. It's not just something you need to have. You need someone with passion and someone that has some drive behind it. You need to be doing more than. Than pitching your product. So I think that's extremely helpful, not only uh, from that standpoint, but the transparency with employees, getting their feedback, making the tough decisions to get rid of people that are bringing down that culture. You know, are, are there other, because uh, I was going to ask about actionable advice around that, aside from listening and getting, you know, kind of the bad actors out of there, are there other things that need to be part of a plan to improve retention? Well, especially now uh, with COVID that we're mm -hmm. all going through this really weird year, you are setting the precedent for whether your employees choose to stay with you or not. Mm -hmm. Everything that you're doing right now, the resources that you're giving them, the technology that you're adopting, uh, the way that you're treating them, because if it's only about the business and it's only about why didn't you get the job done and you know this needs to be done, but you're not asking them, How's it going with your kids? Are your kids in school? Are they at home? Mm. How are you dealing with that? You know, how's it with your mom? I know that she's in the assisted living. Are you able to see her? So we're, we have to connect with our employees 
on a much more personal level because we're the people are struggling mm-hmm. and, and there, you know, we always before COVID, I think had a lot more of that delineation between business and yeah. personal, and we can't have that anymore. And if mm-hmm. you have remote employees, it's even more important that you're setting boundaries for them, not only mm-hmm. physical boundaries, making sure that they have, you know, their own little place in the house. It's not being run over by kids and dogs in the kitchen table and food, but also time boundaries. Don't mm-hmm. be sending your employees texts and emails at three o'clock in the morning because you can't sleep. Schedule for later. Because mm-hmm. otherwise your employees are waking, are, are seeing those texts and they're like, oh crap, I got to be on 24 seven. And the mm-hmm. level of burnout, the level of exhaustion, the level of emotional exhaustion is at an all time high right now. So you have a responsibility to your employees to take care of them personally, physically, so that they can bring their very best self to work and, and give you the energy and their best efforts. Excellent. Two excellent points there, not only about incorporating that personal element to it, it almost goes back to one of those topics we talked about earlier with your relationship with Dale in a lot of ways. As we're Mm -hmm. remote, it's becoming more essential, but also setting boundaries is huge. And I think you're right. You know, you mentioned culture comes from the top, whether that's related to retention or setting those time boundaries, because I know I, for one, have issues like, you know, shutting it off at nighttime and leaving Mm -hmm. my office and going somewhere else in the house at this point. So incredible advice for the leaders out there today. You know, as as we start to wrap up, I want to relate this back to something else you mentioned uh, in one of our previous conversations. You you once described manufacturing as uh, what your mother warned you about, you know, (laughs) back in the 90s through like the early 2000s and things like that. And I'd love you to dig into that a little bit more, but I'm curious, does that also relate to, you know, have you seen things change positively or negatively, you know, not only from a literal standpoint, but also how it relates back to retention as well? Sure. Well, if we look at one of my big goals is to change the conversation when it comes to encouraging kids to go into trade and technical schools and taking instead of taking the traditional four-year college route. Mm-hmm. You look back in the 1970s where the baby boomers were working and the economy collapsed and you know all these factories were shut down and all the workers got laid off and these boomers who had and, and traditionalists who had given so much of their career now said I want my kids to have a better life than me don't go into the trades because you're just going to have the company shut down and you're just going to be out of work and you know all of the nightmares that they went through during those times. And this was the time I was in the welding industry, you know, late 90s to the early 2000s, mid 90s, whatever it was. And, um, and it was like, I'd go into these plants and it was dirty and smelly mm-hmm. and hot. And of course, the maintenance guys had their girly posters all over the place. So it really was when I say what your mother warned you about, you know, it's mm-hmm. true. It was very traditional. And now I mean, I walk into some of these plants and I'm blown away by the cleanliness, the technology, the brightness, the the cool things that are going on. Um, you know, everywhere you look, and and you know, on this your the manufacturing happy hour. This doesn't come as a surprise to anybody, but when I talk to people, it's like look around your room, look, sit wherever you are, and just look around. 
everything that you're looking at has been manufactured. Every single thing. Mm -hmm. We don't have people that we're encouraging kids to go into uh, the trades to check it out, but more importantly, to manufacturers to to do the outreach, uh, to Mm -hmm. use things like manufacturing day and invite Mm -hmm. families. In my summit, I had a couple people, the one that I had two people from the same foundry. And they had a company-wide meeting, so they they shut the foundry down for that day. And what they decided to do, since the foundry was shut down, is they invited their employees to bring their family in for a plant tour, something Hmm. that when the foundry's running, they can't do because of safety reasons. And you don't think that these people have that much pride. Oh, they're just hourly workers. Oh, they're doing the same thing on the line all day long, blah, 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 whatever. And it is hot. I mean, it's a foundry for goodness sake. But the pride when these employees are taking their family, going, that's what I do. That's where I sit. That's where I work. And you see this coming through. And now you have the connection with these employees. But there's a certain percentage of those employees' kids that are going to be walking through that foundry said, this is the coolest thing ever. This is what I want to do. So we're introducing people. We're sharing what we do for a living and we're introducing it to our kids at a much younger age and also being okay with them, not taking the traditional route because number one, Mm -hmm. if they don't go to college, they're not going to have the tens of thousands of dollars worth of student loans that they'd have if they go to a trade or technical school. They come out of a trade or technical school ready to make what 20, 30 bucks an hour right off the bat with a job that has work-life balance built in because when the job's done, you go home. Yeah. So it's it's not all of the additional stress. So it's just really changing the conversation um, is just a a huge issue. And it's not the same um, these days as it was back in the day. And it's just so cool to see, you know, manufacturing 4.0, what's coming out. Mm -hmm. Well, I can tell you're a speaker because all your answers today have been dynamite and have painted a perfect picture of the scenario. In fact, that last answer just brought back memories of starting my sales career. One of the first pieces of advice I got when I was, you know, first going into plants and talking to customers was people love to talk about what they do. People are proud of what they make. So an easy in was always just being like, hey, I'm new. I'd love to learn a little bit more about your business so I can have a relevant conversation with you and make sure I actually understand what you're up to. And 99% of the time, people are excited to go through and be like, this is how we do things here. This is what I do. This is what we do. Um, But one thing I love about that answer is you put the accountability for bringing that next generation in, not only on the parents, but on the companies as well, to have those type of, you know, manufacturing days or have those programs that train veterans, whatever it is, we're seeing more things out there these days. So a lot of great dynamite advice across this episode. Is there anything you wish I would have asked you that I haven't yet? We've covered a ton of ground today, some of which I didn't expect to. So this has been a lot of fun, but is there anything still sitting out there? Boy, I don't know. I really enjoyed our time together. I just, the one thing really about being open to technology when it comes to your meetings, um, bringing people in from the outside, you know, shameless plug, give myself that all day long. But just looking at that, this is not the time 
to not have your conference. It's not the time to not have your meeting because you can't have it in person because we're looking for that connection now. So, and, and the thing with bringing somebody in from the outside is that somebody like me, I can have the exact same conversation that you are telling your team and they will hear it differently from me because they're not seeing me every day. So Mm -hmm. of all the things that normally get cut when times are tough, training and professional development are usually at the very top of the list. And that is the very worst mistake that a company can make because to invest in our employees now is what's going to keep them from leaving us in the future. Well, that we love shameless plugs here at the end of our episodes. We want to make sure we uh, people know how to connect with you. So, Lisa, how you, you know you mentioned what you do at the start of the episode? How could people find you? And then, you know, maybe a little more specifically, what are the things that you can help them with? Sure, my website is lisaryanspeaks.com. I'm also extremely active on LinkedIn. I write articles. I post videos. Um, connect with me there and just mention in the notes that you heard me on the manufacturing happy hour. And, um, you know, I'm, I speak, I train, I consult, um, and, and both live and virtual. And there's so many different platforms and ways to have fun. And it's, it's engaging. It's not boring. I'm not going to do any death by PowerPoint with people. You know, we just, we just have a conversation. Love it. Well, we certainly know you better than we did at the start of the episode today. I hope everyone listening feels the same way and won't be hesitant to reach out. In the meantime, I've just got to say, Lisa, this has been a blast today. Enjoyed our conversation as well. And thank you for being on Manufacturing Happy Hour. You are very welcome. And to those of you listening, stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again next time. Hey gang, thank you for listening. Thank you to making it to the end. And thank you for Lisa for providing such a compelling discussion today. Like I said, we covered a lot of ground in the episode. So I highly encourage you to jump over to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 31 to learn more. And again, we didn't talk about it in the interview, but she has written a book that is extremely relevant to this industry. She has a good handful, but this one I think is the most relevant to this space. Manufacturing Engagement, 98 Proven Strategies to Attract and Retain Your Industry's Top Talent. Definitely recommend checking that out as well as everything else that Lisa is up to. As always, if you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving a rating and review over at iTunes. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes. That'll take you straight to the Apple Podcasts platform on your computer, on your iPhone, wherever you're doing your listening. And those reviews can be pretty quick. There's an easy five-star rating button, and the reviews can be as short as like a couple sentences. The feedback helps me learn what we need to be featuring more on the show, what you're liking, what you want to hear more of, maybe even less of. Um, and it also helps get the show on the map. So manufacturinghappyhour.com slash iTunes would love to hear from you over there. 
Before we wrap up, I want to make sure I give one more shout out to our premier sponsor, SteamChain.io. They are the machine as a service company that's transforming the way end users and equipment manufacturers collaborate, increase revenues, and grow together. It's really fascinating what they're doing. They're really bringing procurement into the 21st century, simplifying machine investment for end users and allowing OEMs to continue to cash in on the performance of that machine over time. Definitely check them out at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash steamchain. That'll take you to the interview we did with their CEO, Mike Cromachy, last year. And also make sure to check them out at steamchain.io if you want to get started working with them today. And with that, that's it for this week. We have another episode coming up next week. We're switching the topic to e-commerce. We're going to be talking about that theme a little bit throughout December 2020 tis the season i feel like e-commerce is the right way to focus but anyway that's it for this week i'm rambling looking forward to talking to you again soon cheers thanks for listening to manufacturing happy hour powered by the industrial network